Wasn't that amazing? If you want to stay up to date on more incredible Welcome offerings, to her fullest be sure to potential. subscribe and rate the, the community of women looking to minimize stress, to join maximize success, and live a more joyful life. Fullest potential. It is time As always, to rise together with grace and start and building the world we dream and we'll to live in. It starts with you, and it starts here. Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. She realized that she would not be a mother after seven years of fertility treatments and a lifetime of dreaming of being a mother. The years that followed were full of loneliness, self-judgment, and confusion about living a childless life. So unable to find a community to connect with, she created one with Stitch Coaching and the podcast called So Now What? She's a certified life coach and guides women in the rediscovery of their meaning to build a future they truly love. She has amassed a following of over 10,000 women with teachings on self-love, discovery, and thought rewiring. She is the founder of The Other's Day and has been featured on national media outlets, spreading her message and serving as an example that infertile women can create the life of their dreams, even when it didn't turn out as planned. So please welcome our guest today, Lana Manikowski. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. Chelsea, thank you for having me and thank you for giving me an opportunity to share my story and hopefully help other women know that they're not alone during the struggles that we go through when we have infertility. Yeah. So let's just start the episode with your story. Cause I know that's a huge part and a huge momentum of what created your business and has made such a big impact. So do you mind just starting with sharing your personal story? Yeah, sure. Well, I like many graduated college, moved to a big city, had super fun, successful career, you know, great friends, the whole nine yards. And I didn't even really think about finding a husband or consider getting married till I was in my thirties. And then at 32, I met my husband, my now husband, and, um, we got married. I was 35. And when I was 37, I distinctly remember being on the phone with a friend of mine. I was in the grocery store. I still remember what aisle I was like at the cracker aisle. And she asked me, you know, have you been trying to get pregnant? And I said, yeah, you know, I didn't really think much about it. I was like, well, you know, we're having a good time, but I guess, you know, we haven't really like started like planning with, you know, cycles and all that type of stuff as far as, um, ovulation and, and all the stuff that I now know is such a, <laughs> a regular part of my infertility journey. But she asked me because she had gone through IVF to have both of her children and, it was on her radar that at 37, I hadn't yet had a child. So she was really the first one to clue me into the fact that maybe there was even an issue going on. Cause I just assumed, you know, we're women, people are getting pregnant all the time. Like I never thought I'd have a, had any trouble. So she was really the first one who put the light bulb off in my head that I should probably start seeking some sort of medical intervention. So I made a appointment soon after with a reproductive endocrinologist and they did all these battery of tests and come to find out, I fell into a category called unexplained infertility, which means there was no like fibroids, endometriosis, anything that they could diagnostically say was the cause of infertility. It was just, I was 37 and my 
production, you know, egg production was low and becoming depleted. And there started my journey of seven years of infertility treatments. So what was that like to be told that news, especially I would imagine an added difficulty with unexplained infertility, as opposed to having like really clear language. What was that like for you? It was, um, it was very unsettling because I was somebody who was used to having a goal and figuring out the steps to achieve it, um, or, you know, knowing the right answers or being resourceful enough to find out how to, to gain whatever it is that I was working on in my life. And then to find out that I fell into this unexplained category, I already felt like there was no hope for me because it just seemed like very ambiguous. And I felt very unsettled, I would say, because there was not a clear map to how I was going to achieve my goal of motherhood. So I just was a good student and I followed the regimen and the protocols that I was given by my medical providers. And I would say probably like the whole time feeling very much like if I'm lucky, this will happen and not feeling like confident that it would happen. Uh, So I would say my mindset was very much as though I didn't have much control over the situation. And that was a very uncomfortable place for me to be. Yeah. Especially as successful, high-performing women, I think we really thrive in being in a seat of control and hard work and saying, okay, you give me the homework, I'll do it because I really want to get there. And so I would imagine that now this thing that you can't control that no matter what you do, it starts to become reality. Like, oh, I might not actually get there, that that could potentially really maybe even disturb one's sense of self. Was that your experience or have you seen that in the women that you work with? Well, what it really was, was sort of this question about, well, if I'm not a mom, then what is my future going to look like? And I was somebody who I always wanted to be a mom when I, even my younger years, I was always the babysitter on the block and loved kids. And when we were at, you know, functions and there was kids, I was always taking care of everyone's kids. And my mom even said when I was young and we'd say my prayers at night that I always would pray to have a baby. And she'd be like, Oh Lord, not too early, (laughs) but she would, she would just you know, said that it was always like part of who I wanted to be. So it was almost like this loss of, or uncertainty more so of like what my identity would be because I always affiliated my future with being a mom and my future being full of the milestones that you have when you have children. And when you raise a family and you send them off to high school and college and then become a grandmother and, you know, all these things. And so I was left questioning what my future could be filled with because I just assumed it would always be with children. And so what did that do to your kind of day-to-day well-being at that period of your life as you're questioning all of these things? I was very much, um, uncertain of myself at probably like the first time in my life where I felt very embarrassed of who I was. I remember when I went through my first couple rounds, it was here. I live in Chicago. It was in Chicago at a well-known academic institution here. And I remember not telling my manager because I was embarrassed. I didn't want her to know that I was struggling because I 
felt like it showed that I was weak or helpless. And so I would do all these appointments in the morning. You'd have to go every morning for monitoring appointments and you would not know until your, your blood tests came back, whether the next day you would need to take your trigger shot and then come back for a retrieval. So everything was sort of this last minute. You didn't know when you needed to be where and what time and everything was just very ambiguous. And I was trying to keep it a secret from people I worked with because I had a lot of shame and embarrassment about the fact that I needed help getting pregnant. So I duplicated or beyond duplicated the stress for myself, because if I had just been open about it and just told people what I was going through and the challenges that I was having, I probably would have had a much easier time navigating. And that's why I'm such an advocate for talking about it and letting other women know that feeling embarrassed isn't part of the formula that you need to go through IVF with, but it's just a really common thing that I work on with my students is shame and embarrassment that you need help getting pregnant. I was just about to ask, is that a really common theme that you see in this community? Because I know that in your bio, you said I was seeking a community and I couldn't find one. So I created one. And when I read that, I remember feeling like this, oof, that must feel so isolating. And so is that something that you find is a really common theme is the shame and embarrassment when really no one's doing anything wrong? (laughs) Yes, it is. And being on this side of things where I now have been able to sort my mind out and my confidence level out about who I am as a woman, that it doesn't have to be attached to my ability to have a child. Um, I see now how I am the minority in believing this story because so many people are stuck in that belief that they need to apologize or feel embarrassed or hide from the fact when people ask them questions of why don't, you know, oh, any kids yet? That is such a triggering thing because so many women feel like they can't be honest or that they can't tell their true story because they feel a level of shame where if you just told somebody, you know, I'd really love to, but it's just not something that was in the cards for me is a very hard thing to get to and and say it from a genuine heart. Um, So yes, I do work with students a lot on that. And also the other big thing is finding your purpose. And I think a lot of women that I work with come to me, just like I told you my story, just like not knowing what your future is going to be like. And just how are you going to fill these next, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of your life when it's not going to have children and the milestones that you can grow with through, you know, children and grandchildren. And do you find that as you're helping your clients and yourself as well on releasing and reducing that shame and embarrassment that their sense of purpose and desire for their life starts to become more clear? I think it's some of the most impactful work that I'm able to help people navigate because we get stuck in believing that we have one sole purpose on this earth. And maybe it's just those of us who've gone through infertility have that belief. I'm not, you know, speaking for anyone else, but for me and many of the students I work with, you're searching for this purpose because you think that you only have this one reason that you're here. But what I try to teach is 
we have multiple purposes and it could be a different purpose every day. It could be, you know, you have a purpose to somebody down the street that you're not their mother, but you know, you, you just showing up in their life, you serve a specific purpose in their life or in your work function or in a social setting. There's so many ways that we have purpose every day yet we get caught up on not having children is the sole definer of you not having any purpose at all in your life. And so it's really fun to explore with my students. And I, you know, I do it still with myself of who you are, like as your being and what you serve, not only to other people, but more importantly, we start off with like, what do you serve in your life? Like, who are you to yourself before you're something to somebody else. You have to be really clear on who you show up being for yourself every day. And I think a lot of us breeze over that part of the equation because we think that we're constantly applauded or admired for who we are to others. And we forget about being somebody for ourselves. Do you feel like you're sprinting just to keep up and left overwhelmed and exhausted by the demands of life? If so, you are not alone. Here, at her fullest potential, we show busy women how to reduce anxiety and still achieve their greatest successes. Because you perform at your best when you feel your best. We bring you Calm On Demand, a free training to help you shift out of surviving and into thriving on your own terms. We know you are meant for so much more. Head over to herfullestpotential.com to grab your copy today, because we rise together. Yeah, that's a really common theme in our culture, especially again, like in that high performing woman is that our value is attached to what we achieve, what we accomplish, what we produce, <laughs> you know, yes, like your paycheck, how much you make, the, the clothes you have, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. That full external appearance and that which you create in that external world. And so how do you help your clients bridge the gap from being really hyper aware of how they show up in the external world to how they show up in their internal world? I work on something with my clients. It's called the BFA cycle. So it's understanding how your beliefs are associated to the feelings that you feel every day. And then depending on how you feel, you go out and accomplish or achieve or go after, or don't go after certain things in your life. So we start by understanding what we're feeling and allowing ourselves to feel our feelings because it's human nature. I think we would all say nobody loves to feel disappointed or um, embarrassed or shameful, but if you can identify what those feelings are and let yourself get comfortable knowing that a feeling isn't something that lasts your lifetime, it's maybe something that's temporary, maybe something that offers you flushness in your cheeks or a tightness in your throat and kind of identifying where you're feeling it within you and sitting with it a little bit, you'll realize that you can start to identify what feelings you're feeling 
and then start asking yourself, okay, so what am I thinking right now? Or what am I believing about myself that's causing me to feel this way? And understanding that we can then decide, is that really true? Do I need to believe that my body failed me? Or do I need to believe that I am a failure as a woman because I couldn't reproduce? And so I do a lot of work on understanding what you're feeling right now and then stopping yourself and asking, okay, so what story is going on in my mind right now? And deciding you don't have to change it right away. I think a lot of people want to feel better right away or feel differently right away. So what I try to do is just get comfortable with feeling those feelings and not always trying to push them away, but learn from them and realize that a feeling is just temporary and it's not going to stick with you forever. I know that from my own personal experience, (laughs) I began to um, be in relationship with my feelings and actually start practicing feeling them. I had a hard time knowing what it was I was feeling and even still can be where I know I'm feeling something and I'm maybe feeling a lot, but I have a hard time pinpointing it in the moment. So I tend to work a lot with the body and sensations and kind of just sometimes not putting a label on it, but just going with the energy in your body and, and allowing that to work through in a really somatic way, because in my experience, I sometimes struggled to put a name to it. Um, I found the feelings wheel to be so helpful. Mm. <laughs> it's something that I use all the time. My husband and I, sometimes we're having a conversation, we'll even pull that out and be like, hold on a second. Let me just refer to the feelings wheel really quick. <laughs> so uh, what are some ways that people can you know, identify what it is they're actually feeling? I think, um, the feelings wheel, it's funny that you brought that up because I didn't know about it until I started working with a coach myself and then now have become certified, but it's amazing how many times we put a label on a feeling like a word, but then when I start asking questions or we start, um, asking questions of ourselves. So I'm a big proponent of journaling. I call it paper thinking, Um, of just getting your feelings out or your thoughts out about yourself and then start to strip away like what things are facts of the story and what things are just like beliefs or colorful things that you're adding to your story that are optional. And then as far as like the feelings go, you might decide that, oh, I've been putting this, this feeling associated with me and Maybe I don't even relate to that anymore, but I've been used to identifying with that feeling for so long that you almost bring yourself into feeling this way because you haven't given your mind the opportunity to escape that you could possibly feel a different way. So like you, I think it's important to sort of identify, you know, are you feeling tightness in your throat? Is it nausea in the stomach or headaches. There's so many different ways that our body reacts to the way that we're feeling and working through those things and understanding, you know, you can, at least for me, um, I can sometimes just feel the feelings move through me. And then I'm feeling nothing of, of where I started 10 minutes before. And it's just the amazing ability we have. And that's what I teach in my community is we already have these things within us, but no one's ever told us how to tap into them. And that's what I think is so amazing about the human body and the mind is we have all this within us that just goes untapped unless you give yourself an opportunity to free yourself and explore what you're capable of. 
So as you're guiding your clients through this journey of feeling shame and embarrassment, and I would imagine isolation, grief, hopelessness, other feelings that I know I've felt in my life when I've had a big loss, especially a loss of expectation or a loss of hope, um, to, you know, familiarizing themselves with their feelings and starting to uncover their purpose and their desires. Do you notice their life shift in ways outside of their sense of identity? Like, have they ever like changed jobs? Do they change partners? Have you seen it ripple out in bigger ways or does it typically kind of rest within their own identity? I think it's specific, um, to the person, but what I do find is as, as women start to work themselves through this process, they realize how much more they're capable of that they would have never even tapped into or explored. And I'm not saying because they became moms, but they're so focused on believing that they didn't become moms. So they're stuck sort of at this point in time. But when we start to do the work, they're digging in a place and searching in a place that they never even knew that it was possible for them to accomplish something like, you know, becoming a CEO of an organization. Or for me, I'm if you would ask me that I'd ever become a life coach, I probably didn't even know what life coaching was early on in my corporate career. And here I am building this huge community because I dug into something as I was working through this process of feeling so lonely and isolated. I never would have believed that I'd even feel comfortable telling my story publicly, let alone creating an organization and, and a community that is making change in the world. So yes, I think that when we do work together, it's, it allows your mind just to wander. And that's some of the the stuff I think is so transformative is the future self work and dreaming about things. A lot of times we don't even want ourselves to dream because either we tell ourselves it's not capable. So don't even disappoint yourself. So don't even think about it first. So, and then I really encourage my students to just put everything out there. It doesn't, you don't even have to think about it again, but just something that comes into your mind, a goal a desire, a, the craziest career or the craziest adventure you could ever imagine. If you just put it on paper, it might morph into something else or end up being something that you end up pursuing because when you think further along the line, you realize it's not that hard to attain. So for me, that is um, a lot of the, the movement I see with the students I work with is finding opportunities for themselves that they never even imagined they could have accomplished or gone after. Well, the three pillars of my work are wellness, particularly mental health, creativity, and leadership. And the reason why creativity is in there is because I think it's all what you're speaking to is it's really dropping into our creative potential. And I know that earth is like the ultimate or is one of the ultimate expressions of creativity. We're literally creating life and birthing it into reality. And all these examples you just gave of being the CEO of a company, starting your own community and business, going on the wildest adventure you can imagine is going into what it doesn't exist yet, envisioning it and then creating it and birthing it into reality. And so it sounds like you're also really helping people harness that and learn how to embody the same part of who they are but let it be expressed in a different way. And I think yes. that's really beautiful in a way that can impact 
so many people, not, you know, not just the immediate family. Yes. And it was interesting because I just had the uh, one year anniversary of my podcast. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Um, It's amazing because it just randomly started out by a a colleague of mine who's also life coach is like, you need to start a podcast and people need to start hearing your story. And so I remember it was Labor Day weekend of 2021. And I was like, okay, but it was a four day weekend. I was, you know, in my corporate job, I was like, okay, so I'm by Monday or by Tuesday, I'm going to have my first podcast episode uploaded and it's super janky. So if anyone goes back and listens to it, please don't judge me for my sound quality. But my point was being, I didn't realize when I look back 52 weeks later on the one year anniversary of my podcast, I took a lot of time to do my paper thinking and really recognize myself for what I've accomplished in those 52 weeks. And what I came to realize is that I gave birth to something and as wonky as that might sound, because it wasn't a human child, I truly feel like it was as significant to me as having a child that I, with my own mind and with my own effort and with my own grit and all the things that I show up every week recording this podcast, I've allowed it to flourish by just being my own human existence. And I, we just celebrated our 10,000th unique download, which, you know, to me, I never would have imagined that 10,000 sets of ears would have listened to an episode of my podcast. So very much resonate with what you're saying that like giving birth to something, it doesn't always have to be a human child. And it might feel weird to even think about celebrating something in that same way. That's not human, but I could tell you the pride that I had that I've created this community and especially the podcast. Like that's like my most recent example of where I felt like I gave birth to something. Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment and 10,000 downloads in a year is incredible. So well done. (laughs) Thank you. And it just tells me that the story obviously is needed. And Mm -hmm. women are most of the people that find me through on my coaching um, platform have come to me through the podcast. So it just keeps me encouraged that I should show up every week because there's people that want to hear more and feel better. And I think it goes to show the, the impact and power we can have when we create from a place of love, just like a mother would to her child. Totally. (laughs) Really beautiful. Thanks. So yeah, why don't you tell us more about Others Day? So for me, I've noticed the last few years, especially after finding out that I couldn't have children, I'd be walking down the aisles and say like Target or the grocery store, and I'd see the banners for Mother's Day. And although I still am grateful to have my mother, I feel just this emptiness because I knew that it would never be a day that I could celebrate. So I came up with this idea. This is so me, Chelsea, I I swear I dream ideas. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, all right, we're doing this. And so I decided it was, I want to say end of April that I was going to have a brunch for women that I knew in Chicago. I created a meetup group called child free and childless women. Um, I put an invite out, I created an event, bright, And I had the most magnificent brunch. I had it catered by like a professional caterer. I went to my hairdresser and skincare people and I got people to donate. I had gift bags made, t-shirts made. And it's 
it was a brunch that is for anyone who is feeling lost around Mother's Day. So maybe they've lost their mom. They don't have a mom to celebrate. Maybe they aren't a mom or don't have a relationship with a child that they gave birth to, you know, whatever variety of reasons. I just felt so called to have an event and let women know that they were loved. So I have now like registered for the trademark, like all that stuff is in the works and I'm going to do it again. This will be our second one. Um, and I just see it growing because there are so many women who feel lost around mother's day. And I just, um, find that when we came together, at least the one that I did here in Chicago, there was 19 women that showed up and the friendships that were, were created. And some of the stories that I left they're being able to tell about the power that women have to uplift one another. And we did like a networking thing where it was almost like speed dating where we, you know, everyone kind of circulated throughout the room and had a few minutes to meet each other. And I just feel really proud that I was able to offer that opportunity. And I see it as growing into a national event and something that women can come. And I love that it's not just for women with infertility because I think there's a lot of people that feel lost around mother's day. So it's called the other's day. And, um, it'll be again this year on May 13th. I did have, um, a woman in Puerto Rico. She did, uh, she was my ambassador. So she had her own event. I sent her like the t-shirts and the goodies for her folks there. And then someone in Nashville who did one of their own local events. And so I'm working on an ambassadorship program because I just, I want everyone to know that your, your worth as a woman does not have to always have motherhood involved in it. That's incredible. <laughs> and what a great idea because it is so important. And yeah, as you mentioned, so many different examples of ways that mother's day could be a really hard day for a lot yeah. of different types of people. Yeah. And I did it on Saturday. Cause you know, like for me, I still have my mom around. So I wanted to spend you know, that Sunday of mother's day with her, but you know, the day before it was, I mean, honestly, it was glorious, um, event. So I'm very proud of it. And I, I think it, it will definitely grow. I could see it growing into a national event. So I've got a trademark attorney, like all that stuff working on it. So it's going to be, may it be so yeah, that's only year one. So (laughs) three years, five years, 10 years from now, I really look forward to watching that grow. And let us know if we can do anything to support. Thanks. Super important. Um, so tell us more about the community that you've been building. You've referenced your community a few times. So tell us more about what that looks like. Well, most of, um, the women in our, or in my community, I hate saying my, cause I feel like it is mine. I know I should take ownership of it, but, um, in the, in the, um, infertility community, I have, I wasn't really like an Instagram person. I wasn't obviously, you know, I started a podcast on a whim. So I just try to show up and be very transparent about what I've struggled with, what I'm successful with now, the work that I've done. So the community I've created, I would say is more women that are yearning to feel differently. And there's different places in our journey. Sometimes you might not be ready to heal from this. I think there's a lot of grief that comes after you find out that you can't become a mom. So I would probably tell someone if they're 
two months out of finding out that, you know, their fertility journey ended and they know that they're going to live their future childless, that I'm not probably the right fit for them because I work more with people that are, are at a point where they've navigated, like knowing that this journey has ended without children. They don't want to adopt or they've decided not to do an egg donor and they know that they want to feel better. A lot of the women I work with are used to being successful in the, in their careers and used to like slaying life. And all of a sudden they feel like that came to a screeching halt. So I would say the women I work with are used to being overachievers and just haven't figured out how to get that way again because of the infertility diagnosis. And so does so it's the- fun. It's great. It's great work. I'm, um, I'm super grateful for the women that I work with. I have a mastermind. Mm-hmm. It's called thrive after infertility. It's a three month mastermind. And it's, I, I purposely keep it small because women with infertility, a lot of times feel alienation or purposefully stay out of close relationships with people that have children because we don't feel like we fit in anymore. I know I used to feel that way, even though my friends that had children were so warm and welcoming and loving to me, I just was not able to embrace the friendship in the same way. And, you know, thankfully I'm beyond that point and I've done a lot of work on myself, um, to be comfortable going to baby showers again and first birthday parties and all the things that come along with, you know, being the childless one in your group. It takes a lot of courage to say no when you get an invite to your best friend's baby shower. I think at least for me, I had a lot of judgment for myself because I thought, oh my gosh, what an awful friend. This person who I've known since fourth grade is so excited to have their baby. And the fact that I decline the invitation, I must be looked at as an awful person. So understanding that you don't have to feel that way forever. So we do a lot of work on how to feel okay or quit judging yourself because you don't have children and how to stop having that be a barrier to your friendships. Because a lot of that is what causes the alienation we feel. Well, and have you found that as they're able to maybe communicate and express their needs more that it actually builds their friendships or have you found that it actually kind of still maybe drives them to connect with other women? Well, um, I think that, it's a kind of a combination. I think it's sort of where your where the level of your friendship is with someone. But back to the mastermind, why I keep it small is because there is this yearning for people that understand you. Because when you go and are welcoming your best friend's baby, you you might not want them to see you cry, but you might go sit in your car and cry for for hours because you just so wish that you had that opportunity one day and you know that it doesn't happen to you and ever being able to fully communicate that to friends in a way that they understand you is, it seems like a stretch. So like I said, I was lucky. I had great friends that I could talk to, but I still didn't feel like I was a hundred percent understood. So with the mastermind with thrive after infertility mastermind, I purposely keep the group small so that people can start to form friendships and create bonds with people without having to go through and say, oh, well, it feels very lonely, isolating, self-judgment 
when I go to a birthday party and they have this community that already understands what that feels like. So we've had some great friendships made in Thrive After Infertility. And right now it's three months. We might start doing it longer, but um, it's just, it's a weekly uh, meeting. It's one week, or I'm sorry, one hour a week. And we do a lot of just eye-opening work about what the future has in store for us that we never even dreamed of. I'm so grateful that you've created this community because in my work, at least I know that community is so, so important um, in repairing any sense of feeling worthless and undeserving in the self. And of course we can rebuild that within ourselves, and we should. And at the same time, feeling safe within our community and within our friendships with our family or whoever's around us can repair the nervous system and these wounds more quickly, essentially than we can just on our own. And having that hybrid model of solo work and communal work is really so empowering. And I think is what actually creates cultural change. Cause I know when I used to have my in-person business, I only worked with one, 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 on one. And I found like, oh, they're making great progress here and they felt really safe here. But then when they go out into the world, they felt really isolated and like no one else had the same language they had. So I'm really grateful that you've created this container where people can connect and not feel so alone and start to realize like there's nothing wrong with me, who I am is just fine. And in fact, I can actually keep going and keep growing. And that's like really a beautiful gift to the world. Yeah, so well, thank, thank you. you for doing that. Thanks. Yeah. And one of the things I really try to teach, you see a lot of, um, at least we do in the infertility community, like people who post like top 10 things not to say to someone with infertility or top 10 things not to do when, you know, somebody is going through infertility. So there's this sort of this laundry list of things. And I know I'm not maybe popular. I wouldn't say not popular, but maybe people haven't heard someone like me talk about this before, but I, I am not saying that I don't ever get triggered, but I try to teach people that you need to understand what you're making other people's words or other people's offerings to you mean about you. Because if you constantly are walking around with a, you know, sandwich board or a poster board with 10 things you shouldn't say to me, and someone doesn't, read your list and says that word to you or those that sentence to you, you then unravel. And so really what I work on is understanding that people are always going to offer words to you and maybe they're well-intentioned and you, you know, aren't receiving them in the way that maybe they have intended for you or vice versa. Maybe they're meant to hurt you, but if you're always walking around with a list of things that should or should not be done to you. And I'm not, this doesn't confuse with boundaries. I think boundaries are a totally different thing, but as far as words go, we then are always beholden to what people say to us. So I do a lot of work on when somebody says to you, well, you know, you can always adopt because that's commonly the first thing we hear when you tell someone you couldn't have a child, they always say, well, you know, you always can adopt. Yes, I do know that, but a lot of women get very triggered by that. And I did too. I've done a ton of work on myself with how to receive those few words and realize that they're just used to trying to make people feel better. So when someone says you can always adapt, they're just trying to give you hope. And they're not saying it from a way that 
you know, the way I used to interpret it was, oh, they probably think I didn't try hard enough, or they probably think I'm an awful person because there is a child out there who needs a home and I wasn't one to choose them. So I would make those few words mean a lot of very terrible things about me that I created for myself. So much to say that I try to teach women to get clear on when someone offers you words, what you want to make that mean about you. And that has helped me navigate a lot of these common triggers. And again, I don't think someone should be a punching bag or not be able to tell somebody that they don't want to be told something or asked something like we have a human right to do so, but just to better equip you with how you can react to things by knowing what you believe about yourself. So say something that happens that plays out and somebody actually really doesn't want to hear that. What would be a good way that you recommend they advocate for themselves and set the boundary that promotes connection and understanding? Because you know, as you mentioned, you kind of don't understand the experience unless you've been through the experience. And mm-hmm. so in the intention and desire of bridging the gap and reducing the isolation and loneliness, you know, if we have two different people here, one who's experienced infertility and one who hasn't, you know, what are ways that from the perspective of someone who's experienced infertility, who might be listening to this episode, what are ways mm-hmm. that they can advocate for themselves in the moment that feels empowering and instead of like hiding their experience and perpetuating that shame and embarrassment. Well, I think it's important to, to be honest with them and say, you know, Jennifer, thank you so much um, for offering that to me. You probably don't realize, but I've thought a lot about adoption and you know, that that's not a route we're going to pursue. So I know you don't mean it this way, but it can be commonly interpreted when you offer that to somebody who's been through infertility, it might stir up things for them that cause them to feel a lot of self-judgment or make them feel like they haven't tried enough to achieve their goal of motherhood. So I'm just, I'm very much a straight shooter and I, that takes practice, you know, to be quite honest with you, but I think that's the most effective way to make change is to just be honest and understand that, that your story does not, you don't have to be embarrassed by telling someone your story. And I think that's where a lot of my shame and, and my loneliness came from was because I was so afraid to tell people what I had gone through and what I had tried and failed in air quotes, because the terminology when you go through IVF and it doesn't work for you, you're called a failed infertility patient. So the medical term, yeah, the medical term is, is failed. Um, so a lot of that gets into your psyche. So I'm very much a proponent of education. I was just at my OB yesterday for a routine checkup and they were going through the whole, you know, weight, height, blah, 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 blah. Last day of your period. How many children do you have? And I finally stopped the woman. I said, you know, do you not see in my chart? I came here for my fertility treatments. Do you not see that I went through IVF and I don't have children? And um, the doctor actually came in and apologized. And I was like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm not mad that someone asked. I just don't think people realize the potential implication, you know, that they could be putting or offering to somebody who isn't healed to the point where I am that. I'm not in tears because I probably would have been that way years ago. So I, to answer your question, I just think 
if you tell people what you're feeling, 98% of the time, they're going to be really receptive and glad that you told them because I don't think anyone goes into it wanting to purposefully hurt your feelings or make you feel bad. Yeah. And I think that goes to say for a lot of differences and experiences is the importance of just expressing how you're feeling. And, but that can be hard, especially when the feelings you're experiencing are shame and failure. I can't believe that's what the medical term is. Yeah. (laughs) That's really hard. Failed infertility or failed IVF. Like that's how they define, like when you look through your medical charts, um, you're considered like a failed fertility patient. I think that's, yeah, I just want to like really highlight that because, or not that terminology, but uh, sharing of your experience, because I think it's Brene Brown that says like sharing um, defeats shame or something like that. Every time we share the shame shrinks. So in the importance of that, because we only know what we know. And if you've never had the experience, you don't know. And that's a way that we can overcome that isolation and loneliness because there's no need to feel embarrassed or ashamed if anything should feel the need to have support. Yeah. So. And I think that's why I'm, I so encourage women to tell their stories when they're ready, because I didn't see an example. Like you said earlier, I didn't have an example of anyone who seemed like they were thriving after failing IVF. And I hate that I'm even using that medical terminology, but that's you know what it is. And so the more of us that are out there and building awareness that you can survive and thrive again after infertility is, I think, the biggest marker we can create with our lives is just being the example of what's possible. So as an example of what is possible, I know you already shared your podcast, you shared Others Day, you shared about your mastermind. So where can people find you? I know we've kind of already mentioned it, but just... Yeah. Well, Instagram is probably my most active platform. It's stitch coaching, S T I T C H coaching. And I have a a website stitchcoaching.com and then the podcast. And if you search for the podcast, you have to search all five words, the, so now what podcast. Uh, so that's on Apple and Spotify and all the, all the regular places, all the places. (laughs) Yeah. And I always like to end my episodes with guests by asking just for kind of like your last words that you want to leave us with. This is oftentimes a quote or a short story or just a piece of wisdom that you feel called to share. So yeah, well, it's, um, that's an easy one for me because I close out every podcast episode telling my <laughs> listeners that it's never too late to discover your meaning. Hmm. And so I like to leave everyone with that, just thinking that there's never an age that you can't stop searching for who you want to be or what you want to do or what new you want to explore in your life. Thank you so much. That's such a great way to end the episode. I absolutely love that. It's never too late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Never too late to discover your meaning. Well, thank you so much, Lana, for being on the episode. And thank you so much for doing all that you do in your own work. As I've already said, I really am grateful for that, for all that you're building and are continuing to build because the more isolation we create, the more suffering and pain in the world. And the more connection we build and the more understanding, the more healing and the more growth and creativity we can build. So thank you for inspiring the women in your community to do that. Anything we can do to support, (laughs) let us know. Thank you, Chelsea. And best of luck with your baby and, and what a blessing. And I can't wait to see beautiful pictures. Thank you. you (laughs) Wasn't that amazing? If you want to stay up to date on more incredible offerings, 
Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast and find me on Instagram and LinkedIn to join the community of people who are obsessed with reaching their fullest potential. As always, may you walk with grace and courage, and we'll see you next time.